The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, coming out in May 2010. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Oh, my goodness. We have a great show. Talk about great guests. We have a great show today about all sorts of issues of digital democracy and i'm going to tell you a little bit about that but we're having jeff chester back on lloyd because he has been on our show twice before so this is the third time and we will continue to have him on because he does terrific work in the area of privacy and he always has so many wonderful things to tell us so if you haven't heard about him before and you haven't listened to us before with him let me tell you a little bit about jeff chester He's the executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy, and the acronym is CDD. He's in Washington, D.C., and it's a nonprofit group. Their mission is to foster democratic expression, civil, civic engagement, and consumer protection in the digital media era. They focus on four program areas, Web 2.0 in the public interest, digital marketing, privacy and the public interest, network neutrality, and promoting public health in the digital area. In 1996, Newsweek magazine named Jeff Chester one of Internet's 50 most influential people. His book, Digital Destiny, New Media and the Future of Democracy, provides an in-depth examination of the online marketing industry. He's currently writing a book, and he may be done with it now. He's writing a book about global interactive marketing and its impact on society. He's a former investigative reporter and filmmaker, which is very exciting. And this is fun because he came out from California. Chester received his MSW in community mental health from UC Berkeley in 1978 and his BA in psychology from Cal State San Francisco in 75. So I don't know why in the world he would leave our beautiful state, but he did. And he has been engaged in public interest, public, I'm sorry, and he's been engaged in public interest policy advocacy for more than two decades. There is so much more that I could tell you about him, but I want you to go to their website at democraticmedia.org. I want to get started. We have so many wonderful things I want to ask him. Thank you, Jeff, so much for ch- for coming back on the show. Thank you, Mari. If I had a trust fund, I would have stayed in California. <laughs> but I, unfortunately, I had to, um, or fortunately, I've had to do public policy, policy work. Oh, well, you'll have to come back, at least to visit. Yes. <laughs> okay, so... Let's talk about privacy here. You, you've been a real advocate and a, a great leader in our country, and I thank you personally for this. So, so why is our privacy under greater threat today? Well, we focus in particular on the threat to our consumer privacy from the commercial sector. The, clearly, the role that government, our government, the United States, and other governments play in collecting information about us uh, you know, is a critical issue. And I think the most dangerous scenario, which I'm happy to talk about, is when big, you know, uh, media giants uh, like Google start sharing information with with, with governments ab- ab- about us. But the commercial sector, the online advertising system, um, think about Google and and Facebook and and, and Yahoo, just to name uh, a few well-known examples. The entire online medium 
has really been architected to collect tremendous amounts of information about each and every one of us, wherever we are, whether we're in front of our computer screen, using our mobile device, where we are in the street, and even soon with, with, with television. The basic underlying principle is for these companies to be able to extract this information, analyze what we do and who our friends are, and then target us with advertising and messages. It may not just be about buying something. It could be about trying to persuade us to like something. Politicians are using these same technologies now, which is a real problem. So with the whole system being designed to collect all this information, and with new systems coming online all the time that can quickly analyze it and figure out how to use it to, to influence us and target us, I think it's a huge privacy threat we face. And, you know, it, what's so scary is that it's not transparent at all. Well, that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and that's part of what we are calling for. They have done this without informing the public. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the recent uh, 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 flap uh, uh, over uh, Google's so-called Buzz product, the social networking product, um, is a good example where, you know, without really thinking about the consequences, perhaps, uh, they created a project that simply, you know, revealed everybody's email addresses to, to, to everybody else. So it's, it's, you know, how these decisions are being made isn't transparent, uh, what the implications are, and I think that they're very, very critical because you're talking about n- not just a few giants, but potentially many, many other people and companies being able to get information about you and then use it for whatever purposes without your awareness and certainly without your consent. Right, because not only are they, these big giants, collecting it, but they're sharing it or selling it or transferring it to others. Exactly, and there's also, you know, and this is perhaps one of the great accomplishments of, of, of Silicon Valley and, and digital innovation. Many of these systems um, uh, are available, you know, uh, for a relatively in, in, inexpensive uh, purchase. So you can buy a system that can track people's communications on social networks, et cetera, uh, for relatively small amounts of money. Uh, so you really have, in some kind of uh, 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 ironic way, the democratization of, 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 the, tech, of the technologies that uh, collect information about us and invade our privacy. So, so what is the Center for Digital Democracy doing about all this? There's been tremendous focus on what the government is doing in terms of collecting information. Your listeners are certainly well acquainted with the role that the National Security Agency played working with AT&T and other um, you know, large companies to do, engage in domestic spying during the, the, the Bush administration. But very few organizations are looking at the, as I said, the commercial infrastructure. What is Google and, and Facebook and, and, and Madison Avenue and, and, and the television industry um, because television is about to go interactive too, and collect all this data. What are they doing, and and what should they be doing? So we are making a lot of trouble, Mari. We are doing our <laughs> utmost <love> to make <laughs> a lot of trouble for them and to help force both the Federal Trade Commission, which is the principal federal regulatory agency in the United States that is supposed to be responsible uh, for protecting consumer privacy. And to the extent that we are, um, Congress is supposed to play a role here protecting consumers. We are filing complaints. We are providing information. We are pressuring and lobbying them to come in and step in and do the right thing. These big companies and, and, the, and their lobbyists basically have had a free reign. And, and the industry is, is able to continue its practice to collect all this information, to not respect privacy. And we are doing our best on a daily basis to shake those agencies up, uh, to, to wake up those Congress uh, persons, uh, to make the press pay better attention uh, to these uh, issues, and see if we can you know, get regulations and safeguards through, or at the very least make it public, make it more transparent. You know, what I've noticed recently, and this is kind of sad, and I'm sure you've noticed it too, is that the reporters that have really done great work in this area, you know, Byron Okohito, who is yep. with the USA Today, and you know, Tom Zeller, who was with the New York Times, and many, many others that I have dealt with, and you, I'm sure, have dealt with over the years, they're telling me now, when I tell them about something that I really want them to write about, they're, they're telling me, 
you know, we can't. We, I wish I could write about that, but I can't now because I don't want to lose my job and I have to write about what they tell me to write about. Have you well, noticed that too? Well, I think there's a number of, of factors that, that, that involved in the lack of press coverage on um, commercial data privacy issues and how it affects consumers. First place, and this will give the reporter some credit, these are not issue, easy issues to see. You have to do some digging and, um, and and that's part of the problem. These are these are threats that are emerging, right. um, or they are well hidden. Two, all the big media companies are using these same techniques themselves, and they haven't come clean really with their readers and users. In other words, the New York Times and the Tribune Company that owns the LA Times, and you could just name any media outlet, Comcast. They're all using interactive advertising and data collection and behavioral targeting. So when you blow the whistle on Google, you're blowing the whistle on yourself, and that is not a way to um, secure your job or get promoted. Um, uh, in addition, you know, because the news media in this country, as all your listeners know well, is in crisis, and there's been less advertising, ironically, less advertising coming in to support them, uh, there's just not the space uh, uh, to, to, to do this. But I think the primary... One of the primary reasons is that people don't understand how, you know, the recent subprime, the current recession and, and the subprime crisis that triggered it uh, was all about digital marketing. How about we have new threats <clears throat> coming from our healthcare system because our data is being collected? I mean, the, 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 the stories are all around us, and I'm afraid very few reporters are going out and, and looking for them. And they're, they're not really connecting the dots. They're not. And, and so, you know, I guess, and I don't mean to get off on this, but, how, but because you have been, you know, in this field for so long, you know, what is the answer? Is the answer to, to start our own TV show and bring these up kind of like another 60 Minutes type thing? Well, that's thing? what you've done, basically, through well, the have... radio show. <laughs> right. And that's what I do through providing reporters and others with, information about what's going on in the in the industry. I hold the online advertising industry accountable, and it's a huge sector of, of the economy. I'm following them on a daily basis, looking not just what they're doing in terms of sending you a digital ad, but the technology that, technologies they're using that collect our data and, and attempt to um, affect our our well-being, our consciousness in some way. I'm following all that, and I'm providing that to, to reporters and journalists and, and uh, policymakers, at the end of the day, I do think we're going to need to create, you know, a, a different kind of, of news and information system uh, that will help get the, 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 the word out uh, uh, to people. But right now we have to do the best with what we have. I guess you have to start using YouTube. Do you do that? Well, I want to, and I haven't, to be honest with you. I mean, I think one of the things we might talk about is that, uh, I mean, I don't take any money from any, you know, corporation, and, 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 and there are a number of privacy groups in this country that have decided, you know, um, to play the kind of, you know, Washington game, and they get their funding from Facebook or Google or, you know, or the law firms that represent those companies, and they're able to have bigger staffs and, and, and have more digital bells and whistles. Um, I just rely on those foundations that want to see good work done, that don't have any kind of involvement or conflict or agenda, and consequently I'm not able to raise as much money. But I, in, I, I'm Twittering now keeping uh, and uh, to keep uh, the issue alive there. And, of course, I've had a blog for a long time, and we'll be, doing, we'll be using YouTube to expose YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> and I want to tell people your website, too, so that they can go there and see all the great work you do. And that's democraticmedia.org. If you just tuned in, we are speaking with a friend of mine who is a fabulous privacy advocate in Washington, D.C. He'd be in he'd be out here in California, but really and truly he has to do his work in D.C. so he can go and make a lot of trouble with all the Congress people. But his name is Jeff Chester, and he's the executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy, and that's democraticmedia.org. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy, and I'm the host, Mari Frank. So, you know, you've been talking about a lot of different things here. Let's get into the issue of social mark, uh, media. 
okay, social media marketing, because here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, and everybody on this campus uses Facebook and uses, you know, Match.com and all those. 400 million people across the world now use Facebook. Exactly. So since everybody is on here, I think we need to talk about the social media marketing, that people use it. And I don't think they're, again, that's another thing that I don't think is that transparent. Well, I think to me one of the most disturbing aspects uh, about the rise of Facebook and, 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 and MySpace and, and, and other social media sites is that a field has emerged called social media marketing. And it's really the heart of the business model for Facebook and others. And all of these technologies have now been deployed that stealthily observe what we are, what we say, what we post, what we blog, what we communicate, who we communicate to. There are technologies that are tracking that you know who's a friend of who's on Facebook, and more importantly, it's these these technologies assess who are the most influential people. Who can we target with special messages because we know that person influences 20, 30, 40 others or, or is a key opinion maker. So it's a, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a range of technologies that only the National Security Agency should, you know, should perhaps use that's now widely deployed in the United States and around the world for commercial purposes in order to target us with very specific uh, advertising and messages, and it's totally non-transparent. And do we really, and, and you're asking, I think to me it's one of the critical questions, do we really want to have a society where we are deploying all these forces to spy on each other? All the Fortune 1000 companies are doing it. I'm sure the government's using it, and many others. And um, it, it really requires uh, a, 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 you know, safeguards immediately. We've asked the Federal Trade Commission to do something, but frankly, I doubt anything is going to happen in the short run, which is why people need to be wary uh, when they go on these social networks. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking there's so much psychological stuff going on. I, I thought to myself, well, gee, I wonder if you realize back in those years when you were at UC Berkeley, if, if that your MSW and community mental health would come in handy when you well, were doing that's this. That's really what I've always felt. I, I do. I do mental health on the on the media system. It used to be uh, the television industry, um, and now it's the digital media industry. Let's right. face it; these are hopeless patients. We're never going to cure them. But at least we can, we can we can try to uh, to bring them some consciousness. Listen, we're trying. We have to make these very powerful forces accountable because on their own, and this is a generalization, and it. it, it, it Many of your listeners may think it's unfair. Google and Google certainly tries to do good good things, but at the heart of the company is this uh, powerful force because ninety nine percent of their revenues are from advertising. Is to collect all this information and to use all these powerful technologies um, to collect even more information about where we are on the street, how we use our mobile phone, what what fast food restaurant might be near us, etc. How they can better. Uh, a, a, a target us. So all of the incentives are really with the folks that um, just see this as a way of making a buck and don't understand that it has very, very negative consequences for democracy when you have a system of, of personalized digital surveillance and one that is focused on engaging in the uh, stealth persuasion of its citizens. Well, you know, Jeff, since I have all these students that might be listening and the, and the people driving by, the business people that are using Facebook and they're using LinkedIn and they're using all the social networking, yep. thinking that this is the thing to do. you got to be involved. Which, and you do. And you do. And it drives me nuts. But and you, you do. do. Listen, you have to live in that world. It's very important. There are wonderful benefits. I should, you know, I, I denigrate it because these companies are not being clear, not being candid. I mean, for example, Facebook recently changed its privacy policy, so in fact... You know, more information is made available. They, they claim it's because people uh, want to see their information available, but the real reason they're doing it is they're making a lot of money. They, in the words of, of the CEO, CEO of, of Facebook, it's all about, quote, monetizing the social graph, unquote, you know, mm. making money off of you and your, and your network of friends. I really believe the individual should make that decision. Okay, who should have access? You know, under what, what, what terms I get to control it. It's not automatically defined to be, you know, available to anybody 
that might um, uh, want it, including the social network. So given the factors that are as they are, what kind of advice do you have for us who use Facebook? What can we do? Well, I think Facebook needs to be held more accountable, frankly, uh, here. And that's why it's good. My organization joined with uh, the, the terrific Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC, in December, asking the Federal Trade Commission uh, to force Facebook to um, reverse what it just did in terms of making uh, users put more information, make more, forcing Facebook to change its policy so that more, uh, more user information would not be automatically uh, made uh, a public look. I think it's it, it's it's daunting for an individual yes. because I, because the single most powerful force I think shaping the future of digital media is advertising and marketing, and there the 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 imperative is make all this stuff uh, uh, accessible, uh, or make all your information accessible uh, for 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 targeted marketing. Um, you know, it, people that fight it are kind of swimming upstream. We need to fight it, um, and we need to see if we can get Congress and, and, and state legislatures. I mean, California should consider weighing in and, and, and the Federal Trade Commission to do something. But I think you should be wary. And I think people should need, ask, need to ask pointed questions with Facebook and Google and all the others. What kind of technologies are you using for data collection, um, you know, uh, about me? And see what kind of responses you will get. And if you go to my blog at democraticmedia.org or groups like Electronic Privacy Information Center or World Privacy Forum and Electronic Frontier Foundation, your listeners and others will get a sense of the you know, reams of, of digital data they're collecting about us every second. And um, you know, well, let's try to hold these, these companies more accountable. But we want the government to step in. And yeah. I think you are going to see in the next year the Federal Trade Commission much more aggressive uh, than it's been in the last couple of years, trying to um, deal with some of these practices. And do they even have the resources to do it? Well, I do think, I mean, I have my own, you know, criticism of the Obama administration, you know, uh, but the they have done a good job, I think, at the Federal Trade Commission. Um, there's a new chairman, and he appointed, um, and this I really have something positive to say about government, um, but he did appoint, um, uh, uh, as the director of consumer protection, one of the country's leading uh, consumer advocates and legal scholars, a person named David Vladek. And he, he used to uh, be with Public Citizen. He worked on regulating tobacco and tobacco advertising, among other issues. And I think that uh, Vladek is trying to uh, uh, come up with uh, ways of addressing some of this. Uh, it's an uphill battle. They don't have that many resources, but I will tell you, and I think this is a this is an example of where the Federal Trade Commission, under this uh, administration, or is different from the previous uh, ones, including the Clinton one. For the first time, the Federal Trade Commission has hired experts who actually understand what cookies can do, and other kinds of data collection techniques, and what that what those uh, cookies and and web bugs might mean for privacy. So they've brought in some real heavy duty digital detectives uh, to uh, snoop around in terms of what um, uh, the commercial industry is doing with data collection. So until the changes are made, is there something that you suggest that we do? I mean, there should be opt-in, but there isn't. So well, should we, we are, go, yeah, uh, well, go well, ahead. Well, first place, I'd say that consumer and privacy groups have called upon Congress to enact a, a legislation that would, in essence, give us all opt-in, that nothing would be collected uh, from us uh, uh, unless we... Give our permission. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a kind of very simple and fair approach. We're not against advertising. We're simply saying, okay, let us make the decision. Tell us how you're going to do it. Tell us whether you're going to take this data and make a profile. Tell, tell us whether you're going to follow us on the web. Tell us whether you're going to, which they're doing with increasing frequency now, they're taking the data they have about us online, and they're instantaneously merging that with offline databases to give them a richer picture of us, and that may be sold uh, to, uh, to other advertisers. Tell us what you're going to do and give John and Jane the ability to say yay or nay. Right, and, and, and if you want to, you can offer them something in return, and, and, if, they fact, did, and if they can make that choice. Right. With, financially if they want to do this. And, for example, I might say, 
well, look, um, University of California at Irvine, you know, UC System, you guys need money, you can collect my data. Or I might say the Los Angeles Times or whatever, right. you can collect my data because I want to help you out. Right. But you might say that X and Y, you don't want them to, to do it. Or you might say, and I think this is what's more likely, you might have a trusted relationship with an online company, say Amazon, and you say, fine, do it with what you will. I like your service. But you might check the box that says, no, you cannot share it with outsiders. Right. Uh, but they, so, so Consumers Union, Consumer Federation of America, World Privacy Forum, Electronic Frontier Foundation, my group, and many others have um, written to Congress. Uh, you can find the document on my website and the other websites. Uh, uh, the... Um, Privacy Rights Clearinghouse is a part of this as well, based in San Diego, laying out a legislative agenda. I hope you'll listen to this. Take a look at that legislative agenda. We think it's fair, uh, you know, it, it, but, it, but it, it, it balances the equation. It's not just the big companies collecting all the data. Now the individual has a right to have some control over what is done. And that's what we're calling for. Um, and hopefully, you know, whether we'll get it remains to be seen, but it's worth a good fight. Let me ask you something, Jeff. And when I was looking on the website, is there a place for, like, if I go there, I can, like, sign on and have it sent to my, you know, Senator Feinstein? If you go to usperg.org, perg.org, yeah, they and you do look for privacy, yes, you can sign on to those um, principles, and that will be sent to your member of Congress. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful. I know when Consumers Union does that on different issues like financial privacy, that makes it easier because I think in this digital age, we are all so overwhelmed with information and, you know, it doesn't make our life easier. We're, we're trying to live our lives, raise our families, do our work, you know, live in this economy. And then, you know, for something we really believe in, it's got to be really easy. So, I, you know, I would just ask that if you could do what, what Perg is doing and just say, okay, if you want to add on and, and put your name that you're sending this to your own senator's. You know, here's a little box. Do that, and and I do suggest that everybody go to usperg.org, uh, or just perg.org, perg.org, yeah, org. And yeah. Do it. and do it. And it's very, very important because that's going to have some meaning. Together as a group, we're going to have more influence than if I just write an email or you just write an email, or or just all of your groups. The more people that sign on, the better. Absolutely. We're speaking with a friend of mine who I just honor for all the wonderful work he does. Jeff Chester is the executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy in Washington, D.C. It's a nonprofit group. He also is the author of Digital Destiny, New Media, and the Future of Democracy. I got to ask you, Jeff, did you finish your book on global interactive I'm marketing? Still working, I'm still working on it. Thank you. So when I finish it, I'll, I'll, I'll send I'll it to me. You would be kind enough to have me on. Uh, it's a, uh, again, but yes, you know, I think if you, if you if you look at what the you know the Google got a lot of good publicity uh, when it announced that it intended to to uh, close down its. Um, specifically designed for the Chinese Communist Party search engine. Right. The fact of the matter is that Google and Microsoft and, and all of the major advertising companies, their mouths water because the digital market, consumer digital market in China, is going to dwarf what we have in the, in the United States. Right. And if you look at you know, all these interactive advertising and data collection technologies that U.S. companies have deployed in China, it gives you a sense of the scope that um, all this is playing out around the world. And, and this is where we have to be careful because it's not just about uh, advertising cars and, and, and fast food and, and you know, ins insurance plans. It, it, it's, it's also about a system that collects a, a lot of information about us that can be turned over to government um, who then can um, know much more uh, about what we do and you know, who we are. Right, and who's ever in power. It could be used against us. And, and that's where I think... I mean, we've seen this before. Just think about all of the, you know, think about the Nazis. Think about the communist countries. Think about other countries that this has happened. Think about even here that there's been, you absolutely. know, I mean, it's it's not just somewhere else. It, what can be done with this for us? Will we lose our democracy? Absolutely. Now, the Obama administration is moving to use more social media uh, like Facebook and YouTube and I do think we have to be concerned that that government, whether it's this administration or, or subsequent administrations, 
don't begin using those social media surveillance uh, technologies that, uh, that we spoke about earlier, because then they're going to be able to know, you know, um, not just who I am, but who my network of friends are, and, 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 and much more information about um, a citizen than they should have access to. You know, I tell people, even in an email, never put anything confidential in an email. You know, I, I password protect. I have, you know, uh, attachments that I password protect. I make sure I use encryption. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if you would consider me paranoid, but I really, especially I think you're my... being, pr- well, obviously you're a legal expert in all this. You're being prudent, I think. Yes, yes. So, I mean, do you use the social networking? Do you use Facebook yourself? I, I, I use it basically to spy on them because the way to get access <laughs> right. to a lot of their advertising information is to be first a member of Facebook. Right. So I do, I do use it, and, you know, and, and I probably should use it more. And there are a lot of groups that are able to conduct good campaigns on Facebook, and indeed there should be a campaign on, on, on privacy and reforming Facebook. Um, but I'm very wary of it, of it all, because it, it is non-transparent. Yes. I mean, you know, for those that want to dig deeper, they can do what I do. I mean, in the first place, there are good daily sources of information uh, inside Facebook and all Facebook, and they're da- these are daily online trades, so to speak, trade publications that cover the comings and goings of the Facebook business industry, all Facebook and inside Facebook, and they're worth looking at. Uh, and, you know, because there's a huge Facebook economy and uh, along with social media. But then uh, people like me buy, and those who are interested should take a look at it, the Facebook Marketing Bible. And that comes out, you know, quarterly and with updates once a month. And there's so many ways one can use Facebook to collect information and persuade people that you really, you know, have to... Where do you get that Facebook Bible? Where is that? That's sold by, one, I think, by the Inside Facebook company. Oh, my goodness. See, I, I, you know, I have a... I don't even put anything up there. I, I'm in there so I could go in there and see others, but I'm I'm really scared to do it. You know, I keep hearing things like what you tell me and what everybody else tells me, and I'm I'm really concerned to do it. And I think you need to be particularly concerned if you don't want people to know where your location is and if you have... In a, and if you have a, a, an adolescent on there, too, um, there was a very, I think, sobering report put out by the European Union in 2007 by their um, uh, research uh, uh, division. It's, I, I know the a- acronym. It's E-N-I-S-A. So if your listeners want to look at E-N-I-S-A, do a search for E-N-I-S-A and social networks, they will see that the report, which basically talked about how you know people can look at the photos and understand from the photos that people put up, they can understand where your location is and where you're likely to be at a certain time or your friends are likely to be in a right. certain time. And it's Stalking. Very, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm not into um, being paranoid uh, 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 about it. Uh, uh, and, you know, and I mean, there are, uh, online predators are not my principal uh, uh, concern. I think some of that, a lot of that's been hyped up. But I do think it's sobering knowing that because of what we put up on these social networks, other people might actually know where we might be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, yes. And I am most concerned about these high school kids and these college kids because they they are more vulnerable, I think. You know, they haven't had the experience, and they're away from home, those that are living in the college campuses. And I think that... You know, we might be more open to talk to people because it's the thing they do. We don't think about the ramifications of what could really happen. And I know that from having, you know, a, a, a kid myself who's a, at University of California. So I know what they're like, and I worry about that constantly. Well, well, and I think that one of the most disingenuous things that the companies are doing, the online companies are doing, is they are purposely socializing young people, teens in particular, to be willing to give up all this information. Right. And, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, I said before that one of the most powerful aspects, one of the most powerful forces, the most powerful force shaping the future of media is digital advertising. Well, the most powerful force shaping the future of digital advertising is the interest that all these companies have in teens. If you look at research that, that Microsoft has done, Yahoo has done, so many MTV, so many others, they're looking at the online behaviors of adolescents because they're the emblematic. They're the future. Exactly. And they're creating all this content for them where they're being encouraged to give up all this information, 
you know, right from the get-go without really being informed or warned about the consequences. There's a balance here. There's a balance. We want to use all these tools. You know, you need to be digitally savvy and digitally connected in this world for, for friends, for business, for education. But you should know what the consequences might be, and you should have the power to make some decisions. And frankly, when it comes to teens, we are, we are, my organization is calling on Congress and the Federal Trade Commission to come up with some special safeguards to protect teens so that right now, uh, because of a law that my wife and I uh, helped get through in 1998, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, or COPPA, companies cannot, or, cannot automatically collect personal information from children under 13. If they're under 13, they can collect personal information without a parental permission. But anybody above 13, let's say 13 to 17, is fair game. Yes. Now, you know, I think, frankly, why should we allow anyone, whether it's a McDonald's or a Google, et cetera, you know, collect information from a 14-year-old without some kind of special set of safeguards? So we are pushing uh, both Congress and the Federal Trade Commission to do something to protect teens, to empower teens, to right. give them, frankly, the kind of safeguards that I think everyone should have, which is you have to tell me first so I can make decisions before you automatically collect and use all this data. And I think the schools are going to have to catch up and they're going to have to kind of teach social responsibility on the Internet. I think, I think that would be extremely important. But right now, you know, the, just, the odds are against the schools, just like they're against the parents or even the privacy advocates. These changes are happening so fast, yes. so ubiquitous. Yes. I mean, you know, um, you know, I I can hardly keep up with the latest developments that Google is is doing and Yahoo is doing. Every day, there's new new threats to invade our privacy. Exactly. So, so the schools do need to do a good, better job here. Um, but we need the government to come in and set some safe, you know, rules of the road, some reasonable rules of the exactly. road here. Exactly. Now, meanwhile, the, the online marketers are going to Congress and saying, if we protect privacy, the Internet will go dark. The, 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 we will <laughs> lose the Internet. That's what, they're actually, that's what their lobbyists are saying, uh. that advertising and data collection feeds the Internet, and without that kind of invasion of privacy, we won't have access to, to, to online content, which is a uh, you know, fallacious Absolutely fallacious. It's ridiculous. We are speaking with Jeff Chester, who is the executive director for the Center for Digital Democracy in Washington, D.C., a nonprofit group doing wonderful work as you're listening. He also is the author of Digital Destiny, New Media, and the Future Democracy. And you can see his blog and the wonderful work that they're doing at democraticmedia.org. So, Jeff, how, what about the role of neuroscience? How, how is that threatening privacy? Well, one of the most disturbing aspects of, the, of online marketing is that advertisers, online advertisers, you know, you can think about um, uh, Pe- Pepsi, uh, Google, uh, just name Microsoft. They are using neuromarketing companies to help test and research the best ways to get the marketing message to consumers, including on digital advertising. So, for example, Google did a, a test with a neural marketing company based in Berkeley, California, and, and your listeners should go and look at neurofocus.com, N-E-U-R-O-F-O-C-U-S, because it's really one of the leading companies. And Nielsen, the Nielsen Ratings Company, bought a minority share of uh, uh, in 2008, and, and, and take a look at NeuroFocus because it will give you a, a, a good example of what I'm talking about. They That's are putting, to talk about covert. Well, exactly. Oh, my they, God. They, the, the, the goal, online advertising is being shaped with an interest in using the power of the technology, and this is their words, not mine, to, quote, to influence our subconscious mind. Mm. So they're testing all these people with MRIs and EEGs and other kinds of techniques to understand how the message can get translated into someone's subconscious. So when you, so my sort of my most negative scenario about online marketing is you have a system where there's ubiquitous personalized data collection. They know where you are, what you're, what you're watching, what you're downloading, 
whether you're in front of a PC or, or in, this, in the street, they're, they're using very, very powerful ads that are shaped with multimedia applications that interact with video, uh, for example. And those ads are being honed with precision to directly affect your subconscious. Politicians oh. are using NeuroFocus and other neuromarketers as well. So they're so, not going to do anything about this? <laughs> well, I think that that's part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that the, the, the um, uh, members of Congress and, and, and others are using these techniques and they're finding success. Look, the President Obama basically won office in part using behavioral advertising and all these various techniques. I'm not so sure about neuromarketing, but certainly the full range of interactive advertising. So, so that's why the administration, frankly, is ambivalent about going after the Googles, which they have a close relationship with, and others. But neuromarketing has become one of the foundations for interactive advertising. And I see a system, this is perhaps my most worst kind of paranoid um, you know, a fantasy where, in fact, we Nightmare. Are setting, we're setting the stage where there's a real potential that we'll be getting all kinds of messages, buy this, buy that, vote for this, vote for that, where we don't exactly know why are we... Because remember, these ads are personalized. Mm-hmm. They can change on the fly. Your, your listeners should look to a search for Yahoo Smart Ads. Kind of reminds me of Minority Report, too. It, well, in fact, it is right out of Minority Report. You know, to make that movie, Spielberg went to the MIT Media Lab and said, tell me about the future of advertising. And they said, this is coming down uh, the pike. So, um, so these are personalized ads. And to the extent that you do not know that those ads were um, refined using neuroscience techniques to work on your subconscious mind, I think people should be very, very upset about this development yeah, and, de- I... and demand safeguards from, from state le- uh, legislators and from federal policymakers. You know, I saw this thing on 60 Minutes with this scientist who has, um, had shown how they can read your mind. You know, mm-hmm. they had all this stuff. In, and I actually had him on my show. Mm-hmm. And that what, Mar- Not Martin Lindstrom. The, um, no, it no. was, I forgot his name. I'm so sorry. But um, anyway, God. They're looking at French UCLA name. is doing some of this. Yeah. No, he was, um, he wasn't in UCLA. He was somewhere out east. But anyway, yeah. long story short, I had him on my show to talk about this. And to be honest with you, he was a great guy. But he didn't really consider, I think he's from Carnegie Mellon, yeah. did not really consider all of the privacy implications and the ramifications. And, you know, I said, you're at a university that has a whole privacy area that they're doing, you know, maybe you guys should get together. I, I think what happens is some of these scientists are so excited about what they're doing and they don't, they're not looking at the dark side and what it could really do. Well, and can I, I also say that one other factor, and Carnegie Mellon's part of this problem is that companies like uh, Google and, and others are giving huge amounts of money to, to, to uh, academics. Um, you know, for those of your listeners interested, they can do a search and look at Google scholars um, and, and funding. Um, Google is now, I think, in its uh, uh, second or third round of uh, giving money uh, to, to, to researchers at universities to look at neuromarketing, to look at all kinds of different aspects of advertising to push the envelope so companies like Google can collect even more information. So there's a real problem with, with our university system, um, UC, UCI, of course, uh, exempted, where their hand is out to um, industry you know, for fundraising. And, oh, they all do it. They and, all do it, and, and I think it should be disclosed. Well, uh, yes, and, you know, recently, Google, if you, in the most recent grant, uh, grant round, which... With last month, Google gave money to two of, I won't mention their names, but two of the country's leading privacy researchers. Well, from now on, when they you know, do their work, um, they're going to have to disclose that they were funded by Google. There's a and conflict of interest. It, absolutely, it is. We, you know, we need, these are very powerful technologies. These are real civil liberties threats. There are also commercial threats because I, I think as we I think if if your listeners want to come to our website at democraticmedia.org and look at the left and they'll see something that I wrote about um, online advertising and the subprime crisis. You know, a lot of those ads that were sold um, offering people subprime loans were, were were done online. People had no idea that when they were looking for a loan that a cookie was placed you know on their browser that they were then directed you know regardless of their income. Um, you know, to to a uh, uh, an offer 
that offered them a, a subprime uh, a loan, um, or that they're getting you know uh, targeted for credit card loans at high rates. Um, there's a huge, huge uh, uh, set of consequences here, negative consequences for consumers with this online advertising system. And we need academics who, uh, frankly, are, you know, are independent and not on the payroll. And, and that's interest. the sad part, because in order to do the research, they need to have the resources. Well, and maybe, but we're able to do a lot of research with, with very little resources, and other advocates are as well. And there are academics who don't take industry money, who exactly. do a very, very good a job. And, you know, so, um, you know, uh, you, you, you frankly have to make... Uh, the right decision based on what your ethical, right. uh, you know, d- dimensions are. Right. It's about values. But when you were talking about the subprime crisis, you know, all these consumers were blamed. Oh, you know, look what they did. They got into risky loans. Well, they didn't even know what the heck was happening to them. Well, that's them. exactly right. And that's the other kind of research that also needs to to occur is that, you know, this is a, you know, when they create these online environments, where there's uh, you know music uh, you know in the background and there are these cute animated figures you know throwing you money and it's in three d and increasingly it'll all be three t three d it's called augmented uh, or a reality um, you know and and it's been designed perhaps with neural marketing in, in, in involved um, so so some of these messages are permeating your subconscious how's the consumer to know and to to make effective decisions? We filed a complaint last year with U.S. PERG uh, at the Federal Trade Commission on mobile advertising, mobile marketing. And I think if your listeners want to see something else we've done, I think that's a good one. And it's also on the home page. Because increasingly, we're going to be using our mobile devices to take out, lo- take out loans and find doctors and you know, look for drugs and all kinds of things. Right, stuff. everything. How are we supposed to make an, an effective decision? When that small screen, in fact, is has been, is stealthily collecting all kinds of data about us, we have no idea what it's why what it's what it's doing and why it's doing it, and and we're asked to make a decision right then and there about a mortgage. We right. need the Federal Trade Commission and others to come in and create some fair rules for consumers regarding digital marketing. And you can see that letter at democraticmedia.org. He has so much good stuff there. So, you know, when we're talking about consumers and, and people who don't have the understanding and it's also very stealth and covert and, uh, you know, just not transparent, you know, what about Hispanics and, Afri- you know, African-Americans? Are they at even greater risk or even, you know, non-English-speaking people from Asia? Well, I, one of the untouched areas, as far as I'm concerned, by policymakers is the specialized marketing that has developed online targeting African Americans, Hispanic, Asian Americans, and other uh, um, minority groups. I mean, there's a whole online marketing apparatus targeting Spanish-speaking Americans, for example, that's simply under the radar screen of most policymakers and, and regulators. I think one of the most disturbing aspects, in addition to social media marketing surveillance, that I've come across and I don't know what you think, is that increasingly as data is collected about us online and it's put into online profiles, they're, they're incorporating what they assume to be our ethnicity and race as part of that profile. Mm-hmm. Right. And then people get targeted based on that. I personally think, once again, it's a question of let the individual make that decision. If, if I want to tell you I happen to be African American or Hispanic or you know, Korean American, that's fine. But what, what's happening is the default is they're making all kinds of assumptions, um, and, and there's a whole system that's completely, once again, you know, uh, invisible to, to users. And, oh, so I recently came across uh, an example in the online advertising literature about social media, and, and uh, a liquor company found out that uh, because it engaged these um, conversation monitoring tools, that African-Americans on a very popular African-American site were talking about um, this particular brand of, of alcohol. And as a result, they began deploying all kinds of, of specialized advertising techniques targeting African-Americans on this site. These kinds of things are happening all, all the time, and unfortunately our regulators are lagging when it, when it comes to protecting 
the country's diverse population, let alone poor people, from the um, threats of digital marketing. Well, and, you know, I don't think that many of the regulators even have the savvy to even understand all this. I think well, they don't. And the Federal Trade Commission, I think, has <clears throat> gotten a kind of a wake-up call. Uh, we have played, I have to say, you know, uh, a, a major role doing this. They've woken up to the 21st century, and they're trying to play a game of catch-up. But as you pointed out earlier, they don't have the resources. They're budget- under the Bush years. And I listen. I'm critical of the Democrats too. It, I'm not partisan in all this. In some ways, sometimes the Republicans are calling for more effective privacy regulation than the Democrats. Uh, in the Google DoubleClick merger, for example, which was a big merger that Google did with a big online ad company, it was Republicans that took a much more hardline position. Yeah, I don't think it's partisan. really a partisan but, issue. But I they, think, it, yeah, yeah. But the FTC is playing a game of catch up and. Um, Let's keep our fingers crossed they can catch up in time to protect the consumers and let alone citizens. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host of Privacy Piracy, and we're interviewing a wonderful guest that has been on. This is his third time, Jeff Chester, who is the director, executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy. You can learn much more about him and the wonderful work that they do at democraticmedia.org and he is also the the author of a great book called Digital Destiny New Media and the Future of Democracy. Well, you know, I have another question. This is kind of a weird one. What about the the concern over childhood obesity today? How does that relate to privacy issues? Well, there I have a good website that we help run for your listeners and that's at digitalads.org. www.digitalads.org. And I think it's a it's it's a if you look at how all the fast food companies are targeting kids and teens online with some of the most powerful set of techniques, including neuromarketing, to promote fat laden food. Um, I think that is a good representative example of the problem we have with online advertising today. Um, all the fast food companies are using the latest techniques of digital advertising to target kids and teens online to get them to eat fast food and drink a lot of sugar drinks, etc. And there's a real, as we know, youth obesity crisis in this country, and the obesity crisis generally in the United States is a major contributor to uh, increasing health care costs. So we're all paying for this in the, in the long run. But meanwhile, you know, millions and millions of kids are face. Um, short, a shorter lifespan and 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 and, and heart pro- disease and problematic health yeah. health uh, issues l- later on. Interactive advertising isn't the same as watching a, an ad for junk food on television. You're talking about an ad that's personalized, that's been designed to be quote immersive. That's the word that the online advertisers use to penetrate the unconscious mind. That's collecting a lot of data about about each kid and is able to target them. Engaging the kids. <laughs> if you look at Happy Meal, not, I mean, not to single out McDonald's because they're all doing it, but if you look at HappyMeal.com, which was the relaunch uh, a year or two ago from McDonald's of its website uh, where they created a virtual world, it's a good example. You know, kids enter this world. It looks like a game of, it looks like a world of fun. You create avatars, but it's all about deploying the most powerful set of tools of persuasion to get kids to not only want to eat more junk food, but to identify with the brand in ways that, frankly, we don't yet understand in terms of its long-term consequences to their well-being. Well, so how are we different? What's happening in the European Union? They, they have a whole different set of opt-in, but what's going on there? Well, I think the European Union is trying to get to the bottom of some of this and come up with some rules of the road. Um, you know, uh, in part because of their experience with fascism and communism, um, there is a greater sensitivity, it seems to me, in Europe about having either government or industry um, be free to eavesdrop and collect data uh, on its on on its citizens. And so, uh, there there are actual officials in each country, data commissioners, something we really lack. I mean, the Federal Trade Commission has kind of been retooled. Uh, as the agency to deal with privacy, because there's no specialized uh, uh, other, you know, no privacy commission in the government. Right. But yeah. in Europe, each country has a 
Data Protection Commissioner, and they all get together and they help create uh, a, a policies. And they just uh, they're the ones in Europe that are forcing Google and Yahoo and to, to uh, you know get rid of our user data uh, in, in, in a shorter period. They're the one that's coming down hard on Facebook, saying uh, you know what you're doing is a threat to minors in terms of data collection. And I think more importantly, in their constitution, their new constitution they have enshrined privacy as a fundamental civil right. Right. Well, we don't have a lot of time. Jeff, I want to just ask you one more question. Yeah. And I just, I know we could talk for hours and hours. I mean, I have so much that I want to learn from you. You're wonderful. But for a, just a final question for, for those who are listening to us, uh, what do you think needs to be done to protect consumers and our citizens? I think Congress needs to pass legislation as soon as possible that it that's simple and that says you should maybe it's two parts try not to collect that much data generally you know companies but this is key allow individuals to make decisions about how their data is collected and used it's called opt-in and you know tell tell consumers the truth. <laughs> exactly. And see, the companies don't want to tell consumers the truth. The right. companies are, are right now kind of enmeshed in their own paranoia. They feel that if consumers are told the truth, they won't want to share data. I think the opposite is true. If a company is being honest with you, you're more inclined to make some decisions about it all that will benefit you and will benefit them. Especially if you trust them, if you've had a long-term relationship exactly. with them. Exactly. But, but, but the fact of the matter is that this is the other aspect the online advertising industry has a lot of digital dirty laundry. They're taking all this information about us, they're selling it to third parties, they're selling it to direct marketers, they're selling it to what they call online lead generation companies that pitch us for mortgages and credit cards. They don't. Right now, online advertising is shaping the future of drug advertising in this country. They want to use all these tools to get us to buy certain prescription drugs. So the online ad lobby is fighting to, you know, as much as possible to fight it, but we want Congress to step in, create some reasonable rules. We can have e-commerce prosper, but still protect consumers and citizens. Well, thank you so much, thank Jeff you. Chester. You are wonderful. We're going to send everybody to your website at democraticmedia.org, and we will have you back again real soon. And thank you so much for your great work. Thank you and your colleagues for your terrific work. Okay, you've been listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts. You can listen to archived interviews. And most of all, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email and tell us what's important to you, what concerns you have, what fears you have about privacy in the information age. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm pleased to also present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And we're welcoming back Lieutenant Andy Ferguson, who is the Chief of Police Services in Laguna Niguel, California. Thank you for joining us again. That's great to be back, Mari. Well, tell us about some of the challenges of being a Chief of Police. Well, I'll tell you, in Laguna Niguel, um, the biggest challenge is trying to keep up with the three lieutenants that were here before me. You know, we have great programs and, and projects and, and things we're doing in town, and those great things came from those previous chiefs, and I'm just trying to, to keep up with them and, and uh, you know, the good crime rate they had and, and the good things they've been doing over the past uh, 19 years here in town. Well, that's terrific. I know we've been pretty safe, and I've been happy to live here and work here. So what are some of your safety goals and other goals for the city of Laguna Niguel? Well, I'll tell you, um, I want the community to really feel like um, that we're really a part of them and they're a part of us, that that we're working together to try to make it a better place, to keep crime down, that, you know, we're their local department, and uh, they can contact for us for just about anything they need. That's good to know because I think that's part of the feeling of 
working here and feeling safe and living here and just feeling good about this wonderful city. And welcome back to to Laguna Niguel as our chief. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, it's great to be back. Okay. Give us your website again, too. Absolutely. The, the website is ocsd.org. And again, there's a link to uh, our patrol areas on there, and you can click on any city you'd like, including Laguna Niguel. Well, thank you very much, and we'll have you back. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.